0: Good to see all of you out tonight. Glad that you're here with us. As I mentioned this morning, our lesson for tonight is going to be my Father's Day lesson, and we have skipped ahead in our one-word series to the word fathers. And tonight's lesson is one that is related to one that I've done uh, a few months ago. I remember doing uh, a lesson on the prodigal's brother, and tonight we're going to do a lesson on the prodigal's father. And so everything that we study tonight will come from Luke chapter 15. If you'd like to be turning there and following along with us. The prodigal son's father is one of the greatest examples of a father in Scripture. It is a story of great love and forgiveness. The prodigal's father in this parable represents God himself making the father father the greatest example that could be given on how to deal with an erring child. I want to share with you a moment a story of a father. Uh, There's a a father had two children and the father did his very best to raise his children to the best of his ability. Uh, He tried to raise them in the right way. He raised them in the church and raised them to be involved in the church. Uh, one of his regrets is that he probably could have worked less and spent more time at home. But uh, he, you know, he did his best. He did what he could. And one of his children ended up a Christian, a faithful Christian, uh, one that was very active in the church. But the other of his children ended up going a different direction and actually left the church. Uh, The father raised them in the same home. He raised them in the same way. And yet they took two completely different directions. Uh, That happens in the home. We see it in the, the story of the prodigal son. We see that the father raised his sons to be certain type of people and one of them decided to go his own direction. The father in the story that I shared with you I know very well because he's my own father. I was raised in the church and I have always been active in the church. I've not known anything else. I love everything about the church. Uh, But my sister, on the other hand, went a different direction and I I hope and pray that she will change her mind someday. Most families have an erring child. Some of the greatest families and some of those with the greatest fathers have erring children. Uh, My grandfather was one that was very close to me. He was an elder in the church. And he was very active in the church. He's a great example. As I was growing up, I remember, and one of his children is not a faithful member in the church. Uh, There are many families that have erring children for one reason or another. And it's not always uh, the family's fault. It's not always the fault of the father. And we see that with the prodigal son. Uh, One of the most interesting things about the prodigal son is that The father in this story that represents God had an erring child. Uh, God has uh, many children that have erred from the way. And this prodigal is one such child. So that makes this story of particular interest. As we look at the prodigal son, especially as we look at the, the prodigal's father and how he dealt with an erring child. Uh, it's a good example for all fathers to look at. Our lesson objectives for tonight are to study together the story of the prodigal son from the standpoint of the father. And secondly, to learn what it means to be a great father to our children, especially when they err from the way. As I mentioned, many of the greatest fathers have very children. It may or may not be because of the way they have raised their children. However, it is great honor to see a child make the decision to become a Christian and to see them offer his or her life to God in obedience and faithfulness. As we look at Luke 15... This is going to be a a sermon, kind of like I used to do a whole lot of, really. Uh, We're basically just going to look at the text. This is a one point sermon. We're just going to talk about the prodigal's father tonight. But turn with me to Luke 15. We'll begin reading in verse 11 and read through verse 32, and then we'll go back and discuss the verses. Luke 15, verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields, to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have bread enough to despair? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Now his older son was in the field. Verse 25. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted cat. But he was angry and would not go in. therefore his father came out and pleaded with him so he answered and said to his father lo these many years I have been serving you I have never transgressed your commandment at any time and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may, might make merry with my friends but as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots you killed the fatted calf for him and he said to him son you are always with me all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead, is alive again, and was lost and is found. It's a beautiful story of redemption on the part of the son that came back and his father received him. And yet the elder son held this in a different regard. But going back to the the first couple of verses of this passage, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. We understand by tradition that an inheritance is not typically given until the death of the benefactor. Uh, whenever we see someone that, that cares for someone, maybe they want to leave them something, they put it in a will and, and they make sure it's legal so that, that whatever is chosen to go to that individual actually does and that actually transpires. Or sometimes it may be unofficial and, and something is given um, maybe just before death. Um, but anyway, inheritance is something that we inherit after the death of the person that is giving it. We might ask the question, did the father know how his son would use this inheritance? And have you ever thought about how this might have been received? Uh, if a son comes to the father and says, give me... The portion of goods that fall to me. From the father's standpoint, could you see this as an insult? You know, it sounds like basically to the son, the only thing that his father is good for at this point is to die. I, you're not dead yet, but just go. You might as well be to me. Just go ahead and give me what you owe me. I could see that from the standpoint of the father. Did the father know that his son was going to waste his livelihood? Uh, What he had worked so hard for to provide for his family, did he know how his son would use that? And if he did, could could he have stopped him? Possibly so. He could have refused... Many of us are of the mindset that when a decision is made, we will fight to the death to see it play out and there was nothing the father could do to change his son's mind. He was stubborn. He was ready to leave home. He was ready to go into the world. He was ready to experience life at its fullest. And really and truly... I think we understand that there was nothing that the Father could do to convince him otherwise. Sometimes we fall into situations where we are so stubborn that we're not going to realize the wrong in what we're doing until we experience it. Some of us learn better the hard way. I can say that with experience. Sometimes I've been the one that's learned the hard way on a lot of occasions. And that's the way it was with the son. Uh, There's nothing that he could learn from his father telling him what was going to happen or or telling him uh, how this was going to play out. And, And on the part of the father, it takes great wisdom to realize that as much as one may want to, changing the mind of a determined child, it is not always possible. Sometimes we realize it in the preschool with younger children too. That sometimes you just have to let them experience it or they're not going to listen to you. And really that's the way it is all the way up into adulthood. As we get into verses 13 through 19. We see that the father is absent through much of this portion of the story and not many days after the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country there wasted his possessions with part of the living but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want then he went and joined himself to his citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed swine and you know, it doesn't get much lower than feeding swine does it the son he decides to go in the city he he does his own thing he goes far away not just a a short distance but he goes far away he wants to be as far from his family and from his former life as he possibly can be and so he makes the journey alone Uh, the father has no contact with his son during this period he has no control over his actions of course there were not cell phones and things of that nature Back in those days, so when the son goes to this far country, he is removed from his family almost completely. The, the son quickly makes new friends. And, you know, we all, all want to be accepted, we all want to have friendships. And so the, the son forms these friendships with people, but he later realizes something. About these so-called friends. He realizes that they are only his friends when he has and not when he has not. As long as he has money, as long as he has things to make them happy, of course they'll be his friends. But these are temporary friends they're not permanent. And so whenever he has spent all that he has, those friends are, are no longer there. And, and eventually the son is forced to make a living feeding swine, pigs. And, and he is in so much want that he wishes to share the swine's meal. That's how bad it is. It got for him. Learning his lesson the hard way, he decides to return to his father's home. Pick up a verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Even the father's servants that he had, those that he had that served him were much better off than this son was in his current state. And so he forms this idea in his mind Maybe yeah, I can go home. He he realizes how deeply he has hurt his father and, and he realizes that he, he probably won't be received as a son, so he's going to offer something much less. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Learning his lesson the hard way, he decides to return to his father's home. But not as a son but as a servant. Remember how he began the the parable when we we look at how he he went to his father uh, give me the portion of goods that, that is coming to me. Go ahead and give me my inheritance. Give it to me now. and His father might as well have been dead to him. He insulted him. That, that's the worth of the father in the son's eyes. And now the son is realizing something. You see, the son realizes his own worth in comparison to how he has treated his father. And would not even dare to ask to return as a son. That's not in his intention at all. He realizes that he has committed a great wrong against his father. And as we all would do, sometimes, have you ever rehearsed a conversation in your mind? Maybe five, ten, maybe a hundred times, you rehearsed how you want to say something to someone. And that's exactly what the son has done. He's rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say to his father. Father, I sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called the son. Just take me back as a servant. Please, just let me come back as a servant. I'll do whatever you ask, but let me come back as a servant. Just so I can be taken care of. So he rehearses this in his mind, how he's going to to say this to his father. But as we get further in, we understand that the son is expecting far from the reaction that he received from his father verse 21 when he comes to his father we see that his father sees him a great way off he, he runs to meet him he hugs his neck he kisses him and, and the son started that conversation that he had rehearsed in his mind over and over and over again uh, remember this is a long journey home and I'm sure all the way he would have been rehearsing that conversation. And so in verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, uh, but it seems that the father cuts him off. Uh, before he can, can finish with the, the request to, to be called uh, just a servant, to, to just be one of the servants. The Father says in verse 22 bring out the best robe and, and put it on, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here, kill it, and let us see and be married. I might wonder because there's a great gap in the father's presence with his son. What was the father doing? What was he doing whenever his son was out in this far country and wasting his inheritance? What was he doing in all that time I think we can understand very well from his reaction in verse 20 exactly what the father was doing in his son's absence the father longingly watching and waiting for his son's return lovingly runs to meet him he doesn't just walk the father sees him coming he's watching for him and when he sees his son in the distance. He runs to meet him. He's eager to see him. He's eager to speak to him. The son is barely allowed to finish half of his rehearsed apology before the father has called for a celebration of his son's return. And we see that, that something unexpected is given to the son. Something that he realizes he doesn't deserve. Here he has wasted his father's living, or at least his portion of the inheritance. He wants to come back just as a servant. He knows that even as a servant he'd be better off than what he was feeding swine. But the son is granted full status as the son of his father. Once again. His inheritance may have been gone, though the father could have allowed for some provision for him after his death. We we don't know. And again, this is a parable. But the father was happy to claim him as his son. He still loved him. His love was deep. It ran deeper than, than the inheritance that he gave him that was wasted. It ran much deeper than any wrong that the son might have committed against him. And so when the son returns, he is granted full status as his son. And all that let's have a celebration. He's he's back. He's back in the fold. And what a blessing. The story shifts a bit when we get to verses twenty-five through thirty-two. Though the prodigal had returned, we see that the elder brother became jealous. Why? Uh, shouldn't he have been overjoyed just as the father was whenever he saw that his brother had come back into the fold? But he wasn't. He was jealous. He remained faithful to his father. All this time... That he had lived. And, and it comes to this point as the younger brother decides to pack up and leave. And take his inheritance with him. And, and he stayed. He, he didn't go. He, he was still there. He was still doing everything that he could for his father. He remained faithful to him all this time. Now, my brother's coming back. And my father's going to throw this big party for him, a big celebration. He had never left his side. He had never asked for an early inheritance. He had never given his father reason for shame. And yet, the elder brother, as he sees his younger brother return, is jealous. Maybe he wants his father's attention. Maybe he. He wants some kind of recognition for all those years that he had served him without failure. Though he had done everything right, he could not understand the necessity of celebrating his brother's return. You never did this for me. I've been here all along. I never left you. And now you're going to throw this big celebration for him. I want you to notice some of the wording toward the end of, of the discourse between the father and the elder son. Pick up with verses 30. 30 and go through 32. But as soon as this son of yours came, as soon as this son of yours came, who's devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son. You're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In verse 30, notice how the elder son refers to his brother. This son of yours, this one that that has gone into the the far country has wasted all the things that you've given him. This son of yours. But I love how the father refers to him in verse 32. For your brother was dead. Notice that the eldest son didn't refer to him as his own brother. He didn't say my brother. He said this son of yours. Our parents sometimes do that with children, whenever they've done something wrong. He's your child. That's kind of the way I think the eldest son looked at him. This is your son. This is the one that you allowed him to take his inheritance. You allowed him to go into this far country. Your brother. This is your brother. Your brother was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found. Now as it is with any parable that was ever given, there's a deeper meaning here. And I think we would be amiss if we weren't to recognize that deeper meaning. To find the meaning we have to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Verses 1-3. through Luke 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. There are actually three. And this was the third one. This parable was directed at the scribes and Pharisees for their reaction to Jesus' reception of sinners and tax collectors. He wanted them to realize that they were the elder brother. Jesus had gone to people that were so looked down upon he had spent time with them, shared meals with them, taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees were a little jealous of the attention that he gave them. And in a sense, the elder brother is the main character of the story. If we were to choose one of the three. The father's love could overlook the sin of the prodigal son sin against him directly to continue loving his son and forgiving him when he was willing to repent of his wrongs. This is representative of the father's love. The father, God. It's representative of his love and forgiveness toward his own wayward children. God does not force His children into faithful obedience. We see that evidence throughout Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament with the Israelites. How many times did they go astray and yet God still loved them? He didn't force them into obedience. He gave them the commands and it was up to them to make the decision to follow them. But God didn't force them into obedience or faithfulness. And the same father then is the same father today. And today, he doesn't force us into obedience and faithfulness. He's given us his commands, but we have a choice to make as to whether we are going to follow him or not. Sometimes parents have to let their children make their own decision. You, you can tell them what to do to a certain point but you come to a point where you have to eventually let them make their own decisions. As they become adults you have to allow them to make decisions that you know will hurt them at least for a time. But unless they experience them, they, they don't know what's going to happen. They, they can't listen. They can't understand. And so God does that with His own children. He lets them make their own decisions. But, as we read in this parable, and many times throughout Scripture, when they are willing to return, when they are willing to come back to God, He welcomes them with open arms. He runs to meet them. Hugs them. Kisses them. He loves them. And he is willing to receive them. And he's always there. Waiting for their return. Now, as we conclude this lesson. I want to suggest some thoughts regarding this parable. How do we compare it to the prodigal? Has God ever been worth more to us dead as if he never existed? Have we spent years away from God's service wasting our time living for the world? Time that could have been spent in service bringing the lost to him. And trying to do those things that please Him. Have we found ourselves so far from God that we knew we couldn't get much lower? you couldn't go much farther. Nearly reaching a breaking point before you realize that you need God in your life. I can't say that I've been in that situation. From my earliest memory, I was raised in the church, and that's all I've ever known. Uh, the only time that, that I was really astray was when I came to the realization that I wasn't a Christian. And I didn't know what was going to happen to me if, if God were to come back. And so I made, made the decision to obey the gospel to, by faith, repent. Repent of, of sin in my life and confess Christ and, and be baptized for the remission of those sins. And, and as, as far as my relationship with the church has been concerned, I, I've, I feel that I've always remained faithful, at least to some degree. Now, that's not to say that I'm perfect. There are times where I make the wrong decisions. There are times when when I do err from the way and I have to repent and ask God for forgiveness and continue on. But I've never been in that position where I've been that far away from God for that long. You know, we sing the song at Calvary and there's a line that it begins with years I spent in vanity and pride. And you know, after I think about it, I don't know that that I could really sing those words to that song because that's not where I come from. That's not the life that I have lived. But maybe it's the life that you've lived. Maybe there are some similarities in the prodigal son that you see to your own life. Maybe there were years in your life that you spent away from God, years that you wish that you could get back, but you can't. Maybe it is that you're living as the prodigal son even tonight. I don't know. In the example of the Father, God has shown us His wondrous love for mankind. For those who find themselves in need of repentance, Jesus taught us through this parable that the Father is always ready and willing to receive us. And no matter how far away from Him we might be, even if you feel that maybe you're not as far away, but maybe you feel like there's something in your life that that you can't handle on your own. And no matter how far away from Him we might be, He always loves and cares for His own. He never ceases to love us. For those of us who have not left the fold but have remained faithful our whole lives through, we understand there's something in this lesson for us too though. For those that have, it's not for us to, to judge their existence and to look down upon them I've known of people that have responded to the gospel several times. And, and maybe you kind of hear around, around you whispers when they do. It's like, ah oh man, they're, they're coming forward again. But I admire that. Because they want to make their right heart right with God. And that's not something for us to look down upon. When someone responds to the gospel to the Lord's invitation, we should never feel jealous or have ill will toward them as the eldest son did toward his brother. When someone responds to the Lord's invitation for any reason, we should only feel happiness and gladness. Mm-hmm. Anything but rejoicing over returning uh, the loss to its rightful place among the brethren is foolish. Remember the other parables that are in this chapter and how they end? Uh, the sheep that was found, one out of a hundred. And in verse 7 of Luke 15, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or oh, oh, remember the, the, the lady with the coin She had ten coins. She lost one of them. She found it. She rejoiced. And in verse 10 of Luke 15, Likewise I say to you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repent. Are you in need of repentance tonight? Are you the prodigal son? Are you the eldest brother? If you need to come in obedience we're always happy to assist you. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins we'll be glad to help you. If you need to come in repentance don't feel ashamed. God loves you. He wants you to come back. We love you. We want you to come back too, if that's your need. Don't let a day go by because the longer you wait, those opportunities slip away. It may be that another opportunity to respond to the invitation is not given. The Lord may return tonight. We don't know. But if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we want to encourage you, we plead with you, please come. Together we stand as we stand.